Hello, my friends, and welcome to Backable. Today, TK is joined by Red Staffstrom, host of the Broken Salespeople podcast. Red shares his story from door-to-door salesman in one of America's toughest neighborhoods, which led to the pivotal moment that completely changed his view and approach to sales. TK and Red talk about the mistakes most people make in the sales process and how to fix them, the dangers of a sales script, and the link between stand-up comedy, improvisation, and sales. It's a great episode for anyone in sales or struggling in sales. Red, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Nod. Big fan of the podcast. I'm really enjoying being here. Well, as we just said off 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 air, I'm I'm generally excited to speak to you because when when our listeners get to to understand why, but I love sales. Like I freaking love it. And I love not just because, hey, it generates revenue, but the art, the dance, the subtlety, the nuance, the continual mastery. I just love this point of view because, you know, for me, frankly, Red, and we talk about, you know, our guys and things like that, we're always talking is sales is solving problems. And yeah. I, I really, you know, maybe that's a way to kick into this conversation. But tell me a little bit, how have you ended up here? How have we ended up chatting? And you've got a really interesting history. So Nigel reached out to me, loved talking with him. Me and him were both comic book nerds. So we, we kind of hit it off really <laughs> oh, <no>. quickly. <laughs> yeah. I do. Well, I'm a car guy too, so we're okay. Oh, good, good. Thanks, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, like my dad's got a 64 T-Bird in the garage, so. Really? Yeah. I had the Australian 72 equivalent that I, my first business was doing up old cars and, well, I kept a few because I couldn't part with them. They were family after I did them up. (laughs) That happened. I had an 86 Monte Carlo that I did the same thing. Oh, kindred spirits. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've always been that kind of blue collar kind of guy like I'm basically too cheap to pay for labor sometimes is <laughs> what we'll call it what it is so I've spent my whole life taking things apart putting things together and I found my way into a sales career out of college right so I went to college to be a high school teacher wait a minute before before you jump what drew you to being a teacher why was that part of your ambition I've always loved teaching I always yeah. love that look in somebody's eyes when it clicks Wow. You know, and, and I wanted to do history because I, I love the stories of it, but I graduated from college two months after Lehman Brothers collapsed. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so I found myself a sales job. <laughs> um, wow. Had to switch really, really quickly. And then I was never the natural salesperson, just never. I was the introvert. I was the loner. I was the comic book nerd. I was video games. So I had to learn sales almost like from the outside in because Mm. I was the one who would Irish goodbye out of every party. (laughs) Like I I wasn't that like Dale Carnegie, hail fellow, well met kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started taking apart sales the same way I take apart cars and houses and everything else. And so I started really learning how the bricks fit together and the way it all goes in. And I found out most of the advice I was being given was wrong. I'm really interested in exploring this because I I, I think we're probably um, preaching from the same hymn book with a lot of the things we speak about. But was that because as you started to enter in that it felt like that you were hitting brick walls that shouldn't be there? So part of it was I was given a lot of bad advice. The one piece of advice I remember saying myself even is once you know how to sell, you can sell anything. 
that's not true. <laughs> and without knowing the art, it's like, oh, you know how to do the tango. Let's try breakdancing. It's yeah. not like that at all. So I kind of had this mental breakdown at one point wow. where I was selling a product that I flat out didn't believe in. And I'm not saying it wasn't a good product. It was. But I was trying to force it for so long and trying to force being this person that I thought I needed to be that eventually I was having panic attacks in a parking lot. Yeah, wow. Which I'm yeah, sure a lot like of our listeners can relate to. Crying, like th There was a joke. I can't remember the comedian, but he said, I didn't cry like a baby. I cried like a grown man. Babies don't have the lung capacity to do what I did. <laughs> like, it was bad. And shortly after that, I came across Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. Yep. And I realized a lot of the advice that I was given was wrong. This always be closing Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross mentality. Yep. It was actively hurting me when I was trying to do more relational sales. That wasn't my style. I didn't like set them up, knock them down, set them up, knock them down. I liked having that emotional connection, learning more about them, and then taking things somewhat to the next level. The small talk of sales bored me as an introvert. Yeah, I don't like small talk. And I think you've mentioned that yeah. on the episode about being a weirdo, if I remember correct. <laughs> well done and well cited. Yes. I can't do small talk at all. So to just repeat the same conversation 30 times a day, yeah. it, it was draining. So I just rebuilt it. We've only spoke for a little bit. I know you've been speaking to Nigel, but it's obvious you're a relationship guy. You're warm. Yeah. You make you feel comfortable. Like you already feel like you've known the guy for 10 years. For those, you know, everyone listening, you'd know guys like this. That wouldn't work for you trying to knock on the front door with the traditional sales speak and the one, two, three steps, that would, that would be very stressful for you. And the more I learned about sales, the more I realized that scripted yeah. like A, B, C, D, the more it was hurting me. The more scripted I was, the more objections I was raising. And the more objections I would raise, the more it would turn into an argument. And that's one of those things with sales is everybody tries to tell you, bulldoze through, bulldoze through, bulldoze through, be the alpha. Yeah. No, it's not being an alpha, it's not boxing, it's judo. Couldn't agree with you more. Do you mind if we just, just before we continue on, you said something very interesting there that I can relate to a lot of business owners that are in their initial growth phase and they, they, they reiterate in their own words things that you've just been talking about. But do you think it was the product you were selling didn't relate to the style or do you think with the evolution of the style you've got now that you could have sold that initial product differently? I know it's a chicken and egg story and there's a, a ridiculousness yeah. to asking, but... So for me, it was definitely the product. Yep. So to give you a little bit of my background, some of my earliest sales jobs were door-to-door -door marketing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Literally oh. in the neighborhoods that nobody else drove through. Wow. Little tiny Ziploc baggies and bullet casings, literally. And the thing I found is those people were the nicest people in the world. <laughs> right. So when I had my breakdown, what I was selling was security systems. So here I was trying to convince somebody that someone was going to break into their house or business and wear their skin like a suit when I didn't believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, keep in mind, I mean, this is obviously a podcast. Not everybody can see me. I look like a rejected Game of Thrones character. <laughs> Like, I, I, I'm 280 pounds, big bushy beard. I am not a small guy. I don't mean this to say I'm tough, but people don't pick me as a target. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll put it that way. So for me to sell security systems and sit at a dining room table or in a conference room and talk about, 
well, people are coming to get you. It was it was a lie and you can only fake it for so long if you don't believe in what you're selling. Sure. Could I do well for a period of time? Probably, but it, it'd be a ticking clock. So tell me when you were going through that transition and you, and you spoke earlier a little bit about sort of having that breakdown moment, which I think we can all probably trace a, a time where we've felt like that. But could you take me through a little bit of the mental toll on that? Because there is something in this, I think, for all SMEs and people growing it that sometimes you get a few rejections or you haven't quite found the way you want to sell your product, sell your business, get some momentum going. But you actually, I know in my experience, you feel like you lose all bearing of, I actually do some things okay. This is not a terrible, I'm not hopeless. I'm not a hopeless human. I'm not a hopeless product or service. I'm not a shit business. (laughs) At the time, it was absolutely what I thought. Like every part of my life got called into question because of this depression. Yeah. Until I realized that, again, literally until spin selling told me I was trying to force things the wrong way, I thought it was all on me. Yeah, right. And I'm a stubborn, stubborn man, which is part of the reason I'm starting my own business to begin with. (laughs) So I kept trying to, okay, it can't be just me. So I just kept trying to force the same thing over and over and over again. And my biggest problem was I didn't pivot the way I should have. If I have to call it the way I see it in extreme hindsight, I don't know if I ever changed. I was still forcing things because I kept getting the advice, this is what works, this is what works, this is what works. And it didn't work for me. What would you have said to yourself now with the the insight you have on that period? Is there anything you could have said to yourself at the time to trigger different thinking or a pivot? Because sometimes I I feel we need to go through it, but I feel at times where I got the lesson, but the lag was a little bit longer than it needed to be. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think I'm going to go a little bit different even. I don't think I would tell myself anything. Knowing what I know today, that rock bottom was one of the best things that happened to me in my life. Mm. Because now, A, I know I could survive pretty much anything. Now, like I stood in the ring with Mike Tyson and I'm still on my own two feet. Yeah. Like certain point you have to be grateful for, you know, for taking those punches. But if I had to give somebody in that position advice and I didn't want like for somebody else, always be learning, like question yourself. Um, I'm not saying pivot every day, but set an exact time frame okay, you have three weeks to try it this way. If it doesn't work after three weeks, you have to change. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about it setting stop losses. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The biggest problem was I kept thinking it was me. I think I was, I had my script. I was told my script worked and I kept going at it. And I know it'll be a little bit different for most SMEs because they're the ones who write the scripts themselves in many cases. But for me, I had faith that it worked because I was told it worked because that was the only guide that I had to go by. Now, looking back on it, I should have tweaked. I should have started playing the drums on my own. So when you read the book, you, you spoke about spin selling by Neil Rackman. What, what was the, the fundamental thing that triggered you differently? Because I, I know you've explained that it, it was an approach, but I think sometimes you hit these things, but there's something that fundamentally shifts when you get an idea, a sentence, an experience that you can never go back. What was it about this being something that you credit to a shift? Because as much as I want to give Neil a lot of credit for writing the book, you were probably ready for a shift at that time too, because you were seeking answers, right? (laughs) That was a big one. But 
what it did is it gave me permission to question things more than anything else. So in the very first chapter of his book, he talks about sitting down. Um, he was a researcher with Huthwaite. And he was sitting down with a group and evaluating their sales process. And they said, okay, so what is it that our salespeople aren't doing because our sales aren't going well? What about closing techniques? No, it wasn't closing techniques. What about overturning objections? No, it wasn't that. What about asking open-ended questions? No, it's not that. Spin selling goes into literally by the numbers why the holy trinity of sales, open-ended questions, closing techniques, objection handling, actually hurts your chances to sell in a B2B environment. Yeah. So for me, that was permission to start evaluating everything. It's kind of like when you're growing up and you realize your parents could be wrong. <laughs> That's the only explanation I could really give is when you know that your parents didn't know everything. That's what it felt like because I looked up to these managers. I looked up to these trainers. I thought they knew what was going on. And then here I am with empirical evidence with thousands of case studies saying, no, that's not the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D did you find a sense of relief with that? Because I imagine that took a lot of pressure off at that yes. time going, you know what? I can approach this however I want because what I know is not working. What have I got to lose? Which is yeah. the SME so, problem. <laughs> yeah, so for me, it was, yeah, exactly that relieving of pressure. It was understanding that it wasn't me. It was I was being given the wrong information for what I was trying to do. And I don't mean to critique like closing techniques. Closing techniques still work. They have their place. But there's no Jedi mind trick that will overturn a bad presentation. It just let me know pretty quickly that, you know what? Not everything is perfect. Not everybody knows everything. That was when I realized, okay, I have to take it apart and put it together myself with the best information I have. Tell me, how would you describe your philosophy now? So I don't believe in closing really at all now. And the reason is because I've done it long enough that I've realized all the people that I've pushed into sales become a headache two months later. Yeah. And I distinctly remember people that, like, I remember walking away from the table and feeling the sense of accomplishment, like, yeah, I got them. And it was the worst thing I could have done. That's really interesting. We need to probably talk about that because I think that is a universal problem that great salespeople think they've won by bringing in the wrong client. <laughs> yeah. And, and they don't realize how much it's going to cost them long term. Absolutely. Not just in terms of money, but in terms of sanity. And that's being able to say no to people when it's not the right fit. I love telling people no. I, I told somebody no just today. That like, listen, if you're going to fight me on every sentence here, then we this is not the right product for you. Find somebody who's more cut and paste. There's something so important in that because I actually, funnily enough, just had a similar experience myself, which was, was talking to a CEO and I found myself having to rehash the value we discussed and talked about. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is not part of my conversation. That's your evaluation because I know what yeah. we can deliver and I know our product, I know our services. I, if I enter into this, I'm giving you permission to go backwards and talk about something that I shouldn't be involved in. Yeah. I, I've given you my pitch and if I wasn't good enough, so be it. But it's not yeah. the point is if you feel like you've been pulled through this with the wrong energy to begin the relationship, it, it doesn't matter. We won't recover even if we deliver because they'll always feel, it'll feel forced. And I hate yeah. forced energy in any sort of relationship. Yeah. It comes down to like scarcity versus abundance in my mind. 
salespeople in general have this scarcity mindset. They're so afraid of losing any resources, losing any ground. They're afraid that their closing percentage will dip below 32%. No, focus on finding the right 15% and you'll go farther. Absolutely. How do you manage that now? As in when you're focused on, and as you said, you're building your own business right now. Have you found it different because now you're really emotionally attached? I know we all think we're not, but I love my business. And I know every, every other person I ever speak to, you can't fall in love with your business. I go, what do you mean? Apart from my wife and my family, this is the thing I love the most. <laughs> so- <laughs> it, it really comes down in my mind to knowing your niche, knowing what you can fix. And there are some things I can't fix perfectly, and I'm perfectly okay with that. I know I'm not a transmission guy. that's perfectly fine. I don't need to fix everything. I don't need to fix every car that rolls through. There are experts for that. Totally right. So take me through. It's really interesting because I I do, around this mental health, I don't want to keep sort of dabbling back into it, but I really worry about people who don't understand that it's a process, that when you feel at the depths of despair with a new business, with a new strategy, that you have to understand that it's never about you. We tell our people, you've got to assume you're awesome And then we just fix the strategies and tactics. But as soon as you lose that, I guess, that abundance feeling of who you are, that this is part of the process and it's an evolution, I worry about people who don't have the strength that you spoke about, which is hitting despair but bouncing. A lot of people spend a lot of time down there. And I I wonder if you could just tell me, because you've you've got a unique mindset around that. Not everyone does bounce and take off from that point. A lot of people spend many years down there. Could you tell me, how did you pull yourself out of that? Because I don't want to just dismiss it. It is a superpower. For me, part of it is stubbornness. And I, I don't know how much of it <laughs> like is a superpower or a mental illness in its, in its own right. It's just counterbalanced mental illnesses. I don't know where that line is. Um, part of it was just the burnt bridges feeling. Like I didn't yep. feel like there was a way back. It was I had to make something work. Um, I, at the time when this happened, I was probably seven or eight years into a sales career and I didn't feel like I could start over in a new field at that point. So I just said, you know what, let's burn the bridges. Let's double down. Let's figure out something else. And I did, but it, it, it was just something that kind of, I have to do it. The bridges are burnt. There wasn't a second guessing to it because there was no way back. In reality, was there? Yes. Looking back yeah. on it, yeah, I could have slam, but I didn't think that way at the time. It takes an interesting turn then because you've obviously bounced back, new mm-hmm. philosophy around sales, evolved your thinking around it, started to get some results, and you're now almost bringing the teaching part because you've launched the podcast. You're now in full swing. Can you take me through that? Because obviously, this contribution, the way you like to help people, You're doing it the same way we are, just wanting to get out there and whoever needs a bit of a hand, hear others talk about some challenges they have. Can you take me through the podcast, the philosophy? Because I think it's a really, really cool concept. So I'm a big, like back to the point of me having the breakdown and everything. I am very prideful in the fact that I'm broken. I'm very prideful that I've gotten the scars that I've gotten. And... I'm a big fan of that rock bottom because of what it's given me afterwards. But that doesn't mean I want people to stay there. I want to try to give them that insight that maybe everything they learned, all those other Dale Carnegie books, as great as he is, are leading them down the wrong path or the path that isn't right for them. So I just want to offer that contrary opinion. Whether you take it or not, I'm perfectly fine with that. I I, I know I'm not for everybody. 
I'm not here for the car salesman who needs to sit down and hit his numbers and close 30% of the people who walk in the door. That's not for me. I'm looking at people who want to build, whether it's a sales career as an employee or as an independent contractor or whatever else, I want them to work it. It's that purpose-driven mindset. Are you enjoying the medium? The, the medium? Yeah. I am. Like In terms of... so. As an introvert, I'm a little different than most. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're an introvert, by the way. (laughs) I'm I'm only teasing, but it's it's an amazing introvert. I think I'll do a podcast. No, like a Carl Jung perspective, like I need to recharge my batteries, full-blown introvert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Susan Cain, it's about energy. Like I am depleted at the end of the day. Yes, I am a full-blown introvert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know how to be outgoing. And like I'm outgoing introvert. So it's that little bit different. But yeah, it's very much different for me as opposed to like the Joe Rogans of the world. I'm very good one-on-one conversations like this. I like these because we could dive deeper. We can talk about complex topics like depression and sales and business and marketing and all of that stuff. And I like talking to big groups. It's those groups of four or five that I have a problem with. It's really interesting. Well, what's the weather like today? That's where I have the, where you have to like double dutch into the conversation. That's where I struggle. It's that forced energy, isn't it? Because you want to be just a good social person. We all do. We all want to fit in. But I have the same challenge, which is I really struggle with, I don't want to say low level conversations because they're not that. And it is the, you know, the dance of society that we're all just trying to relate and feel connected. But I have the same issue, which I feel very comfortable talking to people. I enjoy talking to people, frankly. But when it gets to things that are almost inconsequential for the focus or purpose that I've got now, I find it really difficult. I almost feel like, do I not fit anymore? (laughs) Am I just a fool? Am I arrogant? What is it? (laughs) And I've always struggled with that because I'm not the person who calls up like even my closest friends who I've known for decades. I'm not good at picking up the phone and talking to them. Yeah, I'm not good at thinking, okay, let's hang out next weekend because I'm doing all these other things. I am just very task focused. It, It can hurt me from an interpersonal relationship standpoint, but that is me being weird. And I know that, but I also know I can sit and stare at a wall for a while and come up with a podcast like and write something amazing that nobody else could because they got distracted every 30 minutes. So it it leans into some of my strengths, but not, you know, I like that part of it. I really like the fact that you've touched on having an introvert bias, I'll call it, that a lot of people, I think, when they start, feel like salespeople need to be outgoing feel like need to be extroverts, need to be the life of the party, need to be the... But it's actually absolutely not true. Some of the best salespeople I've ever met, it's only after the sale I realized they're a salesperson (laughs) and I've bought because I'm the easiest guy to sell to in the world because I love excitement and I buy it. I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, just... But there's something to be said. I wonder if you can touch on it because you don't have to be an extrovert to be successful in this game, do you? In fact, I'm not even sure it's an advantage. Depends on what you're selling, in my mind. So the way I think of it is everybody needs to have their, they have the same amount of social, like they need so much social interaction unless you're a sociopath. Extroverts do very well with what I call a puddle. Very shallow, but very wide reaching. They're the guys who can walk into a bar and shake hands with everybody, make make everybody feel like they know each other, but the conversations never go deeper than a few sentences. Introverts are more the well. It's very narrow, but it's very deep. 
most salespeople would benefit from thinking of the well perspective. Rather than try and sell everybody, focus on your dream 50 and really spend your time getting to know them, know everything they're talking about, listen to their podcasts, know what they like to do, know their business in and out, like send them a card when they win an award. Don't think big. Don't think 100 clients. Think of 50 ideal clients who can change your life and you'll be better at sales and then legitimately be interested in everything they do. Red, I really like that because we use as part of our, when we're building up growth departments and and things like that in our, our clients' companies, we talk about this Dream 50, Dream 100 and becoming such a great nurturer of relationships, not because of the sale, because you generally enjoy making their lives a bit better. And yeah. what we find, and, and I'm sure you've got the same experience, is people want to do business with people they like regardless. And if you're in this smaller space, I realize there are different types of sales and there are different businesses. And, and as we said, put your smart hat on anyone thinking this because we're not talking about everything. But Yeah, you, you run a plumbing business, you can't do that the same no, way. No, but you can, you can do it with joint venture partners. You can do it with strategic partners. You can do it with associations. I mean, a sale is not a transaction. The way that we speak about it, a sale is a relationship. And I found a lot of my best sales have ended up being friends because I actually enjoy who they are and I want to be involved and equally they want to be involved. We almost get disappointed when the transaction's sort of happening, but we really like the interaction. Like, you're right, we've got to keep doing this. That's the next level of nurturing because we're looking for these lifelong relationships. I'm I'm sure you've had that experience now with talking about your process. It, It must be like that. And it goes on both sides too. Like not only with the positive side of building relationships, but you need to get rid of the negative relationships too. Like the same way you can't be around your high school friend just because they were your high school friend and now they're a complete mess in their life. (laughs) Oh, but I've known them forever. So what? You have to have a higher bar than time served. We we had a really interesting conversation last night on our stream. Red, and I'd like to run it past you that somebody, they didn't take offense. They wanted to question. So I don't, in case they're listening, um, they asked the question because I was talking about you have to work out because from a sort of middle class thinking and that you have to be able to say no to people. You, it's not not being nice to someone by not wanting to catch up with a coffee. You actually yeah. have to be resourcefulness and knowing your limited energy, limited time. And when you're in a growth stage of a business, you can't just spread that because someone asked. You actually have to be strategic, but it doesn't mean you're a bad human. Is it something you had to struggle with too? Because I used to be flippant with my time and energy and I've had to re-educate my whole, I guess, social network that it's not that I don't care anymore. I, I have to take responsibility for what I've promised my family, my staff, all the people that are backing me that I got to deliver. <laughs> See, I was always on the other end of the spectrum. I was the person who said no too quickly. Yeah, right. And, and I, I, I sometimes have the problem nurturing some of the relationships I actually want to because I'm caught up in the minutia of things. And that's the other end of the spectrum where I'm confusing busyness for business. And, And to be honest, that's where I have the bigger struggle is sometimes being busy is not being productive. And it's the same thing you're kind of talking about where, okay, going out to coffee, yes, it feels like doing something, but it's not actually producing anything. In my full-time job now, I work in the real estate consulting space. Yeah, right. And as I'm doing that, I talk to a lot of people about dropping off lockboxes. And the idea is, hey, you can drop off your lockbox, but guess what? It's going to take you 20 minutes to drive there, 20 minutes to drive back. You're going to wind up talking to your customer for another 10 minutes. Then you're going to stop for lunch. You now wasted two hours. You could have paid some 15-year, some 16-year-old with their license to do it for 10 bucks. Congratulations, you wasted money. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's that knowing your value, isn't it? This was the, it's like that you were on last night because this was the conversation is, what do you actually value your time at if it was a commodity? Most people yeah. sell it way too cheap and wonder why it's so hard to grow. Yeah. And then there they are. They're clean. Like, yes, when you're first starting your business, you have to do everything yourself. You are the person. You have to wear all the hats. But eventually, you don't have to do the janitorial work, quite literally. I can hire people to paint for $10 an hour. I don't have to be the one that paints. There are lots of different things that you have to start realizing what's the market rate for the activity I am doing now. And if that's below my own value, okay, get rid of it. Because eventually you just deplete your own energy. And as an introvert, I have a very finite amount of that. It's a really interesting one because I think that balance, when you understand what that is for you, because there's, there's also that gray area where some of the tasks, you actually have to just remind yourself the reason you're doing them is because you like it. That's okay. Just make it a conscious yeah. decision, not it, a- <laughs> it giving you that energy. You absolutely need to do it. Yeah, yeah. If you like seeing your customers, I know a guy. Sorry, a guy that used to be around, and he he ran a, a sort of medium sized career company uh, in our town. And the guy, yeah. I think he was doing about twenty million turnover by the end of it. But he was still driving the trucks, and well, he loved it. Yeah, Sam Wallen still locked Walmart until the day he died. Yeah. Just building the business around what he likes. And you, you get that sort of opportunity once you pass a few thresholds and you get a little bit of revenue, a bit more, you know, a bit more resource in your business or, or the role you're playing. But it's important to understand that, isn't it? Is when I get to this point, what's the first thing that I'm going to take off my plate? And I'm sure that's with the sales process now for you. We do the same, which is I used to be in the whole sales process. And now, mm-hmm. unless it's a type of sale that comes in that's there, I, I don't even know. I wouldn't know the, the pipeline. It's, we've got people in for that. And yeah. that's okay. <laughs> the big thing is, yes, even though you don't like the activity, you have to be cautious giving that away too. Because there are some activities that you don't like that you still have to be the person to do. There's a good part of your business where you should still be doing the books. Like Michael Gerber talks about that. Like the first thing they hire is a bookkeeper because they don't like doing the books. Okay, now you have no clue where the money is and isn't, and you have no idea how much food your business has to eat this week. It's really interesting. I I think we do a portion of that because I'm I'm one of those from the school of thought is the first thing you should do is get rid of your books with this caveat. You need to know the numbers better than anyone in your business. So I think where a lot of people make the mistake, it's not the activity of getting a bookkeeper, getting someone, it is giving away the responsibility. Because for me, nobody, my accountant and bookkeeper hate me because I know my numbers better than them and they're professionals because I'm obsessive with making sure that nobody understands the finance better than me because we're still a business that's growing and mm-hmm. where I think a lot of people get a bookkeeper, now I don't have to worry about my numbers. No, no, no. A bookkeeper is an organizational task. Yeah. <laughs> Running a business as the CEO is knowing yeah. exactly what that happens. So I agree with you on, on some ways, but I'm, I'm big on everyone needs to be smarter than me in my business, but I'm not going to yes. let that be an easy task. Because I'm obsessive with the things that matter. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually would agree more with your statement than mine. Like, I think mine was a little overly simplistic. But yes, I usually see, especially in my space, when people hand something off, they hand it off completely way too often. And that is the issue. You can't hand it off and like, okay, it's all done. I'll never have to look at it again. Yeah. Like, no, you still need to be involved in the process. You still need to do a check-in once in a while. Yeah, we use the phrase, delegation is not the absence of responsibility. 
And so I don't mind who it is, but even when I'm working with CEOs in my, my business, I'm saying, hey, you've made a great decision. But if that doesn't work, it's still your fault. Yeah. It's coming the back. The box stops here. Yeah, you lose your job. And this is important because I, I, maybe going back towards sales is if you're not getting enough leads, it's your fault. Doesn't mean you beat mm-hmm. yourself up. You just you got to change the tactic. You got to change the approach. You, as you said, you got to learn the skill that's going to work with you. That's going to complement who you are. Yeah, and with the leads, like okay, you you don't get enough leads. That's fine. So what are you doing with the leads you do have? Where is the hole in the pipeline? Too many people think about sales as only the time you're sitting across from a customer. That's the easiest part of sales <laughs> by a wide margin. Yeah. Getting to sit down at that dining room table, at that conference table with them, takes 95% of the efforts in most like, most organizations. Red, it's really interesting. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because the way we educate our guys is sales and sales funnels is actually IP for that business. Nobody has the answer. Everyone has fundamentals, things that work, but essentially you're putting the pieces together because it's different for every single company. So there's no yes. one who's got a magical sales funnel that works. And I laugh because I, I'm, you know, we, we look online, it's like how to get 10 leads a day through social media, how to do this. And go, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a sucker bait for people who are really struggling. That ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. I own a digital agency because <laughs> yeah. we tried to figure that out. It doesn't work like that. The process is the same. (laughs) The phrase I tell people is I look like a leprechaun. I'm not magical. (laughs) I tell people that probably once a day. If you're looking for something like, oh, this will fix everything that I do in my business. And and even on like the coaching front. Okay. Once I hire a coach, everything's money. No, the coach is just going to force you to do all the things you've been avoiding for the last six years. Tell me this, Red. We do traditional consulting and coaching you're doing at the moment. What is the thing that most stands out when people are struggling for sales? Is there something that you you notice about them? I don't know if it's you know tactical or, or from a st- strategy point of view, but is there something that people need to understand when walking down this path? So the biggest problem I see with most salespeople is they look at the end of the sales process as the problem yeah. because there's that instant gratification, like you do your closing technique and then they buy. So you think that that's what got you there. You think, oh, I did my standing room only close and now I got them. No, it it was the thing you said 90 minutes ago that you already forgot that got them. It was the fact that you called them five times a week and you called them every single day just to get the chance to sit down with them that got them because they saw you're persistent and you're not going to give up. That's what got them to sign on. They look way too late in the process as opposed to looking at the stuff early in the process. It's not the bottom of the funnel. Once they get to the bottom of the funnel, it's a foregone conclusion that they go through. It's the top of the funnel that's the most important. And too many people like to talk about the sexy, oh, well, I signed up a $5,000 coaching student. No, you start with a $13 monthly subscription. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that whole idea is that staggered sales process. I, I find a lot of business people that we work with, they sell their initial product and go, great, where's my next client? There's different types oh. of sales, isn't there? I mean, this, as you said, this, this toe in the water, this first step, this ascension model is, you know, is probably more traditional around the, the sales traps, but taking people through a transactional journey where gives them more value and solves more of their yeah. problems. Yeah. So the explanation I got, and it was, I can't remember his name, uh, Darren Dawson, who was the CEO of BombBomb. 
He explained it like a bow tie funnel where, yes, you're going to start with a lot of people and narrow them down to somebody who's a customer. But then your job is to start building again on the other side of the bow tie and start building it from that one transaction to two to three to four to five. But people only focus on the first half and then, okay, it's done on to the next one. No, 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 no. This is a customer who could be worth tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to you. And you gave up as soon as you made your first 50. It's actually staggering how much is left on the table, isn't it? And this is not about milking your customer. This is about when you understand this, this is, I can add more value here. I see their problem. I understand it more intimately. I can help them with this. I can help them. You've got to be hungry for it, don't you? Well, the problem with sales is people only focus on one half of sales. Yeah. People only talk about sales as a way to generate revenue. Yes, it's generating revenue in exchange for solving problems. If you don't solve problems, you have no right to revenue. So if you're looking at a customer as $2 million potential revenue, you have to solve $2 million and $1 of potential problems. I like that. You, you, you're being very nice. I tell my guys, if you want to sell $2 million, you got to solve 10 because <laughs> yeah. I want a five-time but, return. But that's true. I'm just saying you have to show a return. You're, you're absolutely right. Even just to get in the, in the game, you need to be solving that problem, right? And most people don't realize they have $10 million of problems occurring right now. <laughs> it's true. Most people look at it like, oh, I could solve that. I could fire somebody for like 50 grand. No, it's a $2 million problem because you just don't see how deep the rabbit hole goes. And that's very, very common. Yeah. Tell me, now you're running your own business and you're building that up. Have you found the psychology around building your own business different to when you were selling someone else's product? Because I find as much as I try not to do it, it's a different emotional approach, That's isn't it? It's, it just changes. 100% because I didn't design the products when I sold for somebody else. Yeah. I didn't labor over every single decision and every single value add or every single marketing yeah. sentence. I, I, like, I was handed something and told, go. If somebody else's product doesn't work, it's not on me. Now, everything is on me. Now, every decision that I make as a business owner is my fault. And if somebody doesn't like that, like you just insulted my child. <laughs> it actually, feels like that, I'm yeah. more comfortable with you insulting my child. She's loud and obnoxious <laughs> because she's nine months old. But <laughs> my business was more planned. <laughs> oh, my wife's going to beat me for that one, but I could not make that joke. <laughs> I, really, I really think that's important, though, isn't it? Is understanding that the process is the same, but once it's your own thing and once you, you are emotionally attached to it or everything you know, is a matter of will my family eat in the early stages type conversations, it is different. And it's, it's sometimes, I think, finding that balance again between you've got to just allow the fundamentals to be the fundamentals. You just got to keep executing consistently. Do you, have you found that needing to go back into that relaxed relief mode in order to get traction? I don't know how successful I am at it, to be completely honest there. I'd love to tell you, oh, I'm like, I'm a, amazing at everything. Like, <laughs> but that wouldn't be authentic. And that'd be completely antithetical than everything I speak about. Yeah, I struggle with it. And anybody who says they don't, I think would be lying to themselves on some level. Yeah. And that's the one person that you cannot lie to when you run a business. You can't harbor that self-delusion. Yes, I'm more emotionally involved with it, but I have to be at least cognizant that, okay, it's they don't like my product. That doesn't mean they don't like me. In fact, I'd rather them not like me in most cases. 
<laughs> so tell me, with the business, what 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 are you hoping to build? Because you know we're we're at the start of a journey, and we we all are. We're evolving. But have you yeah. got? Where do you see this going and what do you want to contribute? So my plan is to eventually turn it into public speaking, consulting. I don't believe I want to go coaching. I like coaching. I believe it's worthwhile. But from a scalability standpoint, I'm just not as huge of a fan of it. Yeah, I agree. And that's seeing how the sausage is made. But the business model that I like the most, um, the person I like the most is Simon Sinek. That's really what I want to grow this into. But focused on the sales side of things. Fantastic. Talking about things like emotional intelligence, knowing yourself, being honest with yourself, building a business the way you actually want to build it in an ethical manner. Yeah. I, I mean, he's done extremely well. Obviously, Simon, he, he's a, yeah. a global authority now, but it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because even his early stuff, it's still the same fundamentals. It's a process. Yes. It's seeing what lands, seeing what triggers, seeing what you can go deeper in. And then once you've got enough traction, I'll say whatever I want because people are interested. (laughs) Yeah. And now it just seems like, okay, they're just thirsting for new content. Like he's proven himself to that level. But there's that level of, so in college, I actually did stand-up comedy. Wow. That's really the big thing that propelled me forward with like public speaking and things like that. I've always loved the written word and analyzing and tweaking and changing. That's what really got me into that. So to be able to be on stage and make people feel better, that's where I want to go. Do you find when you were doing the stand-up comedy that that's closer to how you are as a salesman now? Now, no. So it's kind of like comparing improv comedy to stand-up comedy. When I started selling and I was selling door-to-door or I was selling over the phone and I was doing more retail kind of stuff, that was like stand-up comedy. I mastered my type five and I just said it over and over and over and over again. I may have done little variations here or there, but it was saying the same thing over and over. Now it's improv comedy. Now I have to listen to the audience and tweak what I have to say. Yes, I may have some lines, I may have some jokes, but it is never the same performance twice in a row. It's never scripted. It's about asking questions, learning, watching reactions. It's a very different process than most people do their sales because most people are stand-up comics. They write their script. They give it to everybody in their organization. Here, say this. Not everybody can do the same kind of stand-up. No one can be another Robin Williams ever. But you hand them the script that Robin Williams did and you expect them to be Robin Williams. No, let them write their own script. Let them find their own language and let them be comfortable enough to create that because that confidence is what's going to sell it. I couldn't agree with you more. I, Nigel, who you know, he's, he produces our shows and everyone would know from, from Backable, the voice at the start of the podcast, we, he was playing a sales role in our business for uh, the first few years and he was supporting around that. And one of the big breakthroughs that we had was it was we were both really struggling at the start because we were finding where our market is. We were a new brand. We had no collateral to support it. Like Because I'm a bit of, we've started the business, just go out and sell, right? We're fine. And we were a bit yeah. more sophisticated, but that's essentially how it was. And the big breakthrough came, which is show me a script. Great. We grabbed it. We threw it out and go, go and be a nice person to people. <laughs> just go and enjoy yourself. Because even if you execute this perfectly, no one cares. You've got no. to be you. Then they'll want to know what you're selling. <laughs> and, and most scripts are these monologues, and we yeah. wonder why we get interrupted with objections. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Here's the thing. If you're having a problem where you're getting a bunch of objections when you're trying to sell, it's because you're telling and not asking questions. You can't object to questions. Ask them what their headaches are. Ask them what bothers them the most. Ask them how their day's going. Half the time, they'll go into a rant about how, how whatever is going wrong. I agree with you totally. And I think that's around that mastery of understanding that where you'll become great is fine-tuning where the pain points are. Because at the end of the day, people buy pain solvers. <laughs> I could say, yeah. Yeah, not many actually buy the ambition. Not many buy the, it could be this. If you could take pain, it's a much easier tracked in to start with, particularly for smaller businesses. <laughs> take away pain, Look, there's a value. <laughs> well, and like we talked about before, the pain point that we had before is, oh, I don't have enough leads. No, you're just not working them well enough. You're calling them five times and giving up. That's not what you do. Red, I've really enjoyed the conversation. And for everyone, check the links below. Check out Red. Check out the podcast. You know, he's been so kind to share completely transparency, the, the journey he's gone through. And I know a lot of the listeners would be going through something similar, whether it's a new business, a new product, a new idea, a new market. It's okay. It's normal. But when you understand this, you listen. And some of that stuff you said right at the end, I, I think it's absolute gold. It's moving from that monologue, stand-up comic to being able to have improv, work with the audience, work with the energy. You're just going to get a lot better results. So thanks very much for coming on Backable and sharing that with our listeners. And really great to talk to you. Yeah, TK, thanks for having me. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening and thanks to Red for joining us from his workshop. Make sure you check out the Broken Salespeople podcast and keep an eye out for a special appearance by TK in the near future. You can, of course, subscribe to the podcast and connect with Red via the links in the show notes. And as always, if you have enjoyed the episode, please share it to your socials so that others can too. And don't forget to like, follow and leave a review. Have a great week and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.